0: broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross, and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back, Freight 360 Nation. We're back with episode 57. Ben, It's uh, I like saying that new title, Freight 360. I'm- I do. It kind of rolls off the tongue. I, it I'm does. happy with it, man. It does. So we got a great episode today. So today, we're gonna, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Uber Freight and a massive half a billion dollar private equity firm deal. And then we're going to talk about starting your own brokerage. Some, some considerations that you want to think about. We're not going to tell you not to do it. We're not going to tell you that you should do it. We're just going to tell you Think about these things before you do it and make sure that you know what you're getting into. And then obviously our Q and a, but before we start any episode, we got to talk about sports, Ben. There's a actually, you know what? We talked about this last week and, I, and there's things I forgot about in sports right now. For example, the NHL after wrapped up, they went right into the draft this week. Like literally really? I was watching last night, the Buffalo Sabres had the eighth overall draft pick. I think they got a guy named Jack Quinn out of Ontario, Canada. Um, MLB, in playoffs, which we talked about, basketball's in the finals, right? Yep. <laughs> and the Bills are 4-0 right now. It's insane.
1: You're loving you it, see, man.
0: You should see uh, how Buffalo looks overall. So we had like a tailgate at my house to watch the uh, uh, watch the game outside of my patio on like a, a TV that's mounted up there. And every time the Bills scored a touchdown or a field goal, we had the the Bills shout song just raging. People are dancing around. It was It was outstanding. And I did see there was some golf on TV, too. I don't remember what tournament it was, but it was just some random little stuff. But it's a great time of year for sports. I love October.
1: Yeah. And now that, you know, packed in what was left of last year into the beginning of this year kind of has definitely made it, it's interesting. There's just a lot going on. I was talking to somebody earlier this morning. They were like, I'm just watching football 24 hours a day. Just happy to be able to watch sports again.
0: Absolutely. So, um Covid has had a huge impact on the NFL. So obviously, the your Steelers were del- or postponed a few weeks or whatever against uh, Tennessee.
1: Tennessee. Yep,
0: Buffalo actually they approved the Tennessee game for this weekend. Uh, although Tennessee did pop up a couple more positive tests this week, so we'll see how it actually pans out. Otherwise, that'll be in Nashville at one o'clock Sunday. I'm calling that a win for Buffalo. I think even on the road again, just like against the Raiders, we're going to probably have a three point favored as the, uh, as the road team. Um, Cam Newton and the Patriots, like, he couldn't even play against Kansas City on Monday night because he tested positive, so he's out for a couple weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, it's, it's just been weird. And then it, it begs the question, like, you ask every year, like, what teams are good, what teams aren't good? And it's like, COVID is having an impact on this. So, like, would the Patriots be better if Cam Newton had played Monday? Would they have had a better shot? Or was Kansas City going to win anyway?
1: So. And, and to be honest, I think honestly, when it's all said and done, not to throw a wet blanket over it, there's going to be an asterisk against this year, right?
0: You know, I mean, hear that the Bills are just on fire. It's so unfortunate. Oh I mean, man! The question is, I
1: mean, who are the guys that you know? I don't even know who it was that tested for Tennessee, and are they? I'm, I'm assuming they can't play against the Bills next week, and whoever so those people are, ten, so so Tennessee had like.
0: Double digit positive test, but this was, this was the week. Let's see the the week before they were going to play you guys, Pittsburgh. So by the time they play Buffalo, oh no, it won't it won't have been
1: it won't have two been weeks yet? Weeks. Yeah, they're still going. to so I don't like, know, yeah. but
0: at the same time, that's why there's more depth. So I guess if you want to put it that way, the, you know, a bigger roster size, the use of the IR. Um, but every team's dealing with it. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see, man. We'll see. I'm just, I'm, I'm pumped. I love, uh, I just love the way this year started off. Good stuff. All right. Anything else on sports? Oh, here's a question. So, I've seen certain teams this year that actually look good, and I'm wondering if they're good, like the Cleveland Browns. Are the Browns good this year? I think they're three and one right now. And people ask, are the bills good this year? Bills are always good. I think it was more relevant this year. And does Dallas suck? Because Dallas is like one and three.
1: Well, what about the Jets and the Giants? Are they still oh and what did they end up finishing Sunday? Um, at? I know they were and seven going into it, weren't they? Both teams together combined.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're both winless. So yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? So or like that. <laughs> If the the Jets are just they're awful, and they so they have a disconnect between like their general manager and their their head coach. So a lot of times a head coach will want to come in and have a lot of authority and decision-making and their general manager doesn't want that. He wants a lot of control himself. So um, I I think that's the case. So they were even saying like, so Clemson, right. You've got, um, geez, I can't even think of his name The the number one quarterback that's going to get drafted. Um, I have to, how am I, how am I drawing a blank right now? Clemson QB. It's going to, I'm going to laugh. Trevor Lawrence. Wow. Don't know how I was blanking there. He's the guy with like the long hair. Um, and then Dabo Sweeney, the, the coach of Clemson, they were saying, what if like, if the, if the Jets have the number one pick, could Dabo Sweeney go to the, be, you know, brought into the NFL and tr- have Trevor Lawrence go there as a starting QB. And they said the GM will never want a head coach that wants that much say on the team. And that the recommendation was, Trevor Lawrence, you should play another year in college so you don't have to go to the New York Jets as the number one draft pick. So it's funny, <laughs> it's funny overall. Yeah. I think, I think like uh, Peyton Manning did that though. I think he stayed at Tennessee for an extra year because he didn't want to go to the. It wasn't Peyton; it was his
1: brother. It was Eli. Oh, it was Eli. I
0: okay.
1: Yeah, I think. One of the Mannings. It was a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure that was what went down.
0: Yeah. So interesting stuff. Good, uh, good sports talk. Let's get into the episode. All right, let's talk about Uber. Uber Freight. So five hundred million
1: hundred million dollars
0: that's huge. And we were, you know, before we uh, hopped on air here today, we were looking at the different headlines on it. And it's funny how you'll see, you see it portrayed in multiple ways. So like some headlines say like freight waves and we'll put a link in the show notes. They had a really good article, talked about how they've raised 500 million in capital from a private equity firm. And then you'll have other news outlets that will pitch it as Uber freight sold. A portion of their company and I get it when you got a private equity firm you could pitch it as we're raising money or we're selling you know, there's, there's and there's a lot of gray area in between but digital freight brokerages overall I have my own opinion on them I think there's it's such a big market that there's a, there's room for just about every kind of player in the market I don't think they're going to replace traditional freight brokers by any means and I think it's I welcome advanced technology. They don't scare me that they're coming into the marketplace and trying to take over. And Uber Freight has even said they're not, they don't think they're going to even turn a profit for like another three years. So, it's
1: that's And that's it. And then the other, I got into a little bit of a conversation with some of the guys at Freight Waves about that. And it was specifically about the aspect that was just mentioned, I think, in the JOC article was that They're now also looking, I guess, more closely, or they're scaling up. I mean, I'm not really sure where they're at in it, but at LTL, small package delivery, and final mile, right? Which is, there's a huge market opportunity. I mean, right now, Amazon owns that. Walmart kind of competes there. I don't think they have the same scale or the same reach. They obviously can't deliver as quickly as Amazon. They don't have the same infrastructure, but close. Yeah. If Uber's able to provide that ability or, you know, that type of shipping time to a lot of these companies, you know, like Shopify companies, these individual companies yep. that want to compete with Amazon, but can't compete on the time. So, I mean, here, consumers, here,
0: yeah. Yeah, here, here's an interesting um, thought here. So, where I live, in a village of a, in the middle of a village of a town, Orchard Park, New York, I see Amazon Prime Sprinter vans on, the day, on a daily basis, dropping off packages, right? So Uber, if they can leverage their Uber, like the ride sharing, that whole concept of like, uh, for hire drivers like that, on like, they just turn the app on and they can do that. And if they've got their own, minivan or sprinter van or whatever and they can leverage that with uber freight i think they've got a potentially really good product and concept there i think it's i think that's where the competition is going to be
1: i mean i never really thought about that i mean hey they're delivering yeah. food what's one more step from them running to a dc yeah. instead of a pizza shop right i did yeah <laughs> and they,
0: uh, yeah uber eats they, i mean they've already entered into that market so i mean they're, they're doing something right by the way with their business concept of like you know, if you want to increase capacity, it's it's a matter of like, pay your drivers a little bit more. You know, because think about it when, like if you ever got an Uber or a Lyft, there's like uh, surge rates when it's busy. Yeah. Like they, they fluctuate their pay for their drivers based on how the market changes by the minute when it comes to ride sharing. Mm-hmm. So, think about how they could do that and incentivize capacity to increase in their favor, right? When they needed to deliver more stuff. It's it's kind of a mind-blowing concept. They can speaking control over capacity.
1: Speaking of the Amazon Sprinter vans, you know, those are all independently owned companies like Amazon outsourced all that. None of those Sprinter vans or those independent, those are all independent companies, independent contractors that then get guaranteed business from Amazon. Oh, They're okay. not owned by Amazon. In fact, we looked at a, a colleague of mine, Oh, we had him on a show, Bruce and I looked at You know, possibly getting into that market a few years ago when they released it because they were going to guarantee the supply side of the business. All you had to do is buy the trucks and their franchise program already negotiated the rates to buy the trucks. They negotiated all the tech you needed. You basically just had to run your own dispatch system and then pick up their packages at a certain rate and then just keep delivering them.
0: Love it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that. That's cool. I think huh. I heard that about like maybe like a FedEx or UPS. I feel like they had some uh,
1: similar too. By the yeah, way, yeah, something
0: similar to that. It's yep. cool because it's it's a part of the industry that is not often. Uh, you know, you hear people talk about, oh, I offer full truck, LTL, expedite, partial, last mile, and it's like you said last mile. But do you ever really broker last mile business?
1: Right.
0: So people always say they can, but yeah, it's a big. It's a big part of the market. So. Good stuff. Uber Freight. We'll see what happens, man. I'm, I'm excited for them. I hope it all works out well. At the end of the day, we're all consumers. And if I can get my products to me fast at a competitive price, that's capitalism. So it's Absolutely. America. Cool. All right. Topic, big topic today. Uh, we initially, we're going to, initially we're going to title this as uh, don't start your own brokerage, but we we decided to change the the title because it's it's not really what we intended on. We're not telling you not to do it. All right. Um, Because I've had a lot of people that over the years in agent recruiting and developing agencies, I've had a lot of discussions with folks that were like, you know, I want to go start my own brokerage or, hey, I I started my own brokerage, didn't work out. So I want to be an agent now. Or, hey, I'm an agent. I've been doing it for a while. I think I'm ready to start my own brokerage. And there's a lot of things that we want. I want to talk about today and we'll discuss about just considerations because it is For some people, it's the right move. For others, and I would say
1: for the majority of people, it's probably not the right move. Um, Absolutely. And and to add that, well, just to add some context, why, you know, for our listeners, what you and I talked about behind this and where this came from, is it, so one of the other articles that came up recently, in fact, I saw this yesterday, was that self-employment filings are up 16% during the pandemic. A lot of people that have lost their jobs or their their jobs had diminished or gotten smaller or looking for other ways to make money, that's obvious. That's what we want to encourage in the country. That's phenomenal, right? But you know, Nate and I have also been digging in and wanting to provide some training programs out there, which are going to be kind of on the shelf, but we should be getting out them out there pretty soon. And what we've also noticed is that there's just a tremendous amount of people that you see this opportunity get advertised as it's almost like a get rich quick scheme to start your own brokerage. And the more him and I talked about it, the more we thought it'd be valuable for all of our listeners to really evaluate what is encompassing and start your own brokerage. And if right. you've never been in this industry what you can expect, what you can't expect, what's necessary, and what you should be evaluating before you decide to jump headfirst into starting and owning your own company.
0: Yeah. And and like you said, with self-employment going up, in brokerage, I think you're going to see that a lot considering the fact that, and this was referenced on Cassandra Gaines's Mad Gaines episode last week, there's a very small barrier to entry in freight brokerage versus other markets that have a similar concept, but are different industries. So like, for example, yep. we talked about it, you and I, Ben, the other day is that if you wanted to go franchise a McDonald's or a Dunkin' Donuts or your, you know, regional coffee shop, whatever, there is a huge franchise franchise ticket price just to get in, right? Yep. And like,
1: we're talking- and requirements on liquidity. Like you might oh, even yeah. have the 50 or 100 grand, but you've got to be liquid. I think Sonics, I remember when I was a banker evaluating a few of them, I was like, you need to be liquid to 500,000 and have two to three million or something in marketables to just, yep. just to be approved, to be evaluated on a franchise, right? Yep. That's just, and, you know, an example of some of them, but. And in opening a freight brokerage, it's not chump change, but it's not even in the
0: same ballpark of cost. And we're going to get into the cost of, of starting a brokerage later on in the episode, but That's why we wanted to talk about this is, you know, a lot of times, like you said, it's not a get rich quick scheme. Okay. And a lot of people think of it that way. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. Okay. So, um, if so, you know, if you're, if you're driving a truck or if you're an employee somewhere and you're like, I can just, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to switch to brokerage, or I want to own my own brokerage. It's like, yeah, it's a great idea and a great concept, but there's a lot of things you have to consider. And we're going to talk about those today. So, first thing I want to get into is the, is the brokerage turnover. And this is from two different angles. We're going to look at authorities and we're going to look at actual employees or individual yep. humans that are brokering. Cause you got to think if, you know, when we look at an authority, that is one license that can have literally thousands of people operating underneath it. Whereas you're going to have way more actual freight broker representatives that have their own type of turnover versus the License or the authority. So, first thing I want to look at, and I pulled this stat just yesterday. This is MC authority, so motor carrier authorities. This is the the uh, license that you need from the federal government to be a federally approved licensed freight brokerage company. So, in a roughly in a two year period, and this is recent, we're looking in the last few years, only one out of three newly activated brokerages or authorities. Has remained active after two years, so that turnover alone is about two thirds. So the person that's going out there and getting their own authority and setting up, you you already are you're against the odds. You're, yep. You got you got the odds against you. I guess is how you want to say it. There, it's an uphill battle. There's a lot of turnover, and I think the big reason is people don't consider the things that we're talking about here today. So that's that's motor carrier. Now, Ben W two side, and you've got experience in the W two side. The stat is roughly, and this varies. This these stats are reported from different sources and this is my, my personal experience, your personal experience, about 5% ish, so under 10%
1: retention
0: after six months. Yep. So what have you seen, let's talk about like a hiring class at a larger company, what have you seen
1: success rate? So it's single digits after a year. Like personally what I would see, you know, if you saw a hundred people come in, you'd likely see, you know, eight to nine, maybe they're a year later. So you're losing, you know, well over, I you know, around 90% in that first six months to a year, somewhere in there. But here's the thing I think that is also lost is that hiring is difficult. Hiring is very difficult for a company that has a department that only does this all day long, right? It's still difficult. It's hard to evaluate people. It's hard to understand how somebody's gonna perform over the long term. It's hard to know in a few conversations whether or not somebody's gonna be able to push through those hard times. If somebody has, you know, the ability to deal with rejection on a daily basis continually. Yeah, everybody's eager to have that opportunity, and they may be, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at those first two or three conversations but are they, you know, two, three months of them just dealing with rejection? Are they going to be able to hold up to that? Because yeah. that's what this job entails.
0: I agree. It's it's funny that, that you bring that up with hiring because I have talked to so many people that want to become a freight agent and they don't meet the criteria. They don't have the experience that's needed. They don't have the book of business and they try to sell me on this. Oh, I'm a fast learner. You know, I'm top producer. I can do this. And it's like, yeah, that's that's great. But I want to see cold, hard proof and evidence because you clearly didn't succeed at the last company. So why would you succeed now? Or every now and then you find the one that did succeed, but for some odd reason or some strange reason, they had to leave or they wanted to leave that company because of a relocation with, of their family or there might've been some you know, workplace things going on that they weren't comfortable with. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of one-offs, but overall, if you didn't make it in an environment where it's very structured, you're probably not gonna make it in an environment where it's even less structured. And if you're gonna start your own brokerage, that's the least structure, because then you are literally doing everything.
1: So right. and that's, a lot and that, that goes it. into it. Because everyone's heard this statistic. It's almost cliche. What was it? Like ninety percent of businesses fail in the first three years or first yeah. two years. And that's like that general statement, right? But here here's why. There is a lot involved in building a company. Surprisingly. Mm-hmm. There's a lot if you work at a company right now and you're like, hey, I could keep more of this dollar and more of this margin if I didn't have all these departments, realize that those people that are going to work every day are doing something, right? There's not 20 people in a large corporation that is just dealing with billing and invoicing every day because they just want extra people. It's Mm -hmm. because that requires someone's, all of their attention all day, 40 hours a week, and then some to do this job. And you're going to be internalizing that on top of learning how to work in a new industry.
0: And I'm going to give you a caveat here. You mentioned a good reason why people would want to start their own business is, you know, they, they, want, they want a bigger piece of the pie, right? Yep. A lot of other people, they do it for almost like an ego thing that I want to I own, own a company. I want to own a business. I want to be a business owner. And it's like, if literally, if you start your own brokerage and you're a one-person operation, you don't really own a company. You own your job. Yep. And That's really all it is. You literally just own your job because if you were to own a company, you should be able to sell it to somebody and get a profit. Whereas, if you are a single person brokerage owner, you just own your job because you couldn't just sell it because then that other person doesn't know how to do the job. They don't have
1: the customer relationships. It's it's a reality check. Well, there's a very good, uh, hold on, before we go past that, and I heard this, Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams- did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he phrased that as he's like, There's three different steps within building like an actual corporation, or an actual company. He's right. He's like, You start with what I do, right? Which is what we're talking about. Yeah, either you work for a company, you work for an agency, or you own your own brokerage, but it is in effect just you, right? And then the next step is what we do you hire two or three people and you're all doing it together, right? The next step is when you really have a company from my point of view and that's what they do. And that's when you own it, you're in the leadership role, you're able to do things that continue to grow, you're working. It's essentially self-sufficient. And it runs whether you're there or not. That's the ultimate pie in the sky that I think everybody wants, but they aren't looking at the steps in between where they're at today and the things that you need to learn to get to that step, right? It's that old adage, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die, right? Nobody wants to (laughs) to get there. (laughs) Love it. I don't know if that is that,
0: uh, is that a Benjamin Kowalski proverb? That was a Donald Kowalski proverb. That
1: was from my dad who probably got it from his dad.
0: <laughs> DK. Fair enough. I like it. So, and we put this uh, in our show notes because you brought up a good point here is it's intentionality. Having a game plan and a roadmap to get from where you are to where you want to be. And just like we're preaching here, we do it ourselves. Before we record an episode, we're intentional about what we want to talk about. And we wrote this down in our, in our notes is that there's this whole idea of chasing the illusion of having this big company that you own and you run versus putting in the hard work to get there. And that's kind of like your analogy of everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. And let's so, talk
1: a little bit about that. So let's do it. What, What do you see is required of somebody to build a book of business? Which is, by by the way, whether you're an agency, whether you're W-2, or whether you own your own brokerage, nothing exists without this, right? Nothing exists without driving this.
0: Um, I'm going to say hustle and grind and making sales calls, but what what are you getting at?
1: That's it. How many calls would you say... If you, if somebody was interviewing with you and said, Hey, Nate, wh- what do you think I need to do call wise to succeed on I a told, consistent basis? Day one, I'm starting tomorrow.
0: I told someone this on Monday. They said, I'm, I'm you know, I'm still spending a few hours a day calling. And I, I said, I don't care how much time you're spending calling, how many calls you're making. You need to be making hundred to 200 calls a day to build that book of business. Or in this guy's case, it was to rebuild his book of business because he had a non, non solicit yep. from his old company.
1: So, and and I'll, I mean, I'll share my numbers from my first book, right? So I came into trucking with a background in finance, in finance, brokerage, economics, but knew nothing about transportation. So once I went through pseudo training and then I was able to actually get on the phone, I was making between 80 and 120 calls a day, right? There you go. And before I got my first customer, I started cold calling and I would say it was like the second week of July. My first customer, middle of December. First real customer. First customer You're talking almost half a year. Half a year, right? And I'd been in sales my life. I had been in the top 2% of every sales company I've ever worked at. Took me six months and I think I figured out the dials. It was right around 2,700 phone calls. Now, I had some little customers. I had some wins. And the thing is, what this really looks like is over that time, you have nobody to talk to and you have all this rejection. That's day one, right? Well, where you're going with this is week two, week three, you should be adding two or three real prospects to your pipeline every week. So yet, not they're doing business with you, not they're onboarding you, just willing to talk to you again, right? Because that's the first step. It's in your plan. It's not, hey, I'm gonna pick up the phone to I'm gonna be profitable tomorrow. It's I'm gonna pick up the phone and the next step is I just need 25 to 30 prospects that I can continually talk to and work with to try to get on board as a customer. That's the next step. Yeah, I think that's what gets lost in a lot of this is what is that number really,
0: right? Exactly. And if you have zero experience in this industry, this is probably one of the biggest non-monetary barriers to entry for you and barrier to success, really, because it's not barrier to entry, it's barrier to succeeding, is are you going to put in the work? And you, if you have zero experience, do you even know what you're talking about? So, you've got to have, you know, that's where I recommend learning some way, shape, or form if you're going to do this, whether that's learn from somebody else, like a mentor, or um, taking some sort of knowledge from the interwebs, right? YouTube is full of great stuff. And we're going to even be putting a lot of good um, educational videos out there to try and help people that want to learn it. But you, you have to have some kind of knowledge and experience. And then you've got to apply that with this hustle and grind mentality. So that's, uh, that's what I think is the key to success to answer your question. Long story short.
1: And, well, and, we, and it speaks right to this. Like if we looked at the one thing we talked about before the show, right? W-2 model, single digit retention after six months. Because guess what? Yeah, you might be able to do this for a day, maybe two days, maybe two weeks. But what I personally saw was that's where you would see people fall off. Four to five to six weeks of you having to call 80 to 100 people a day and getting rejected by 78 to 98 of those 80 to 100 people, right? Every day, but still having the conviction to get up because if you can't do that for the long haul, then that's okay. But realize that like this isn't the right fit for you because that's what's required. Yeah. It's not like, hey, try to do this and we'll see what happens. Like that's a requirement of success in this industry.
0: Absolutely. And it, it's a good point. And as a segue, we, we, are, we do have an upcoming episode that we're going to talk about Sales scripts, the good, the bad, the ugly. Do we recommend them? Do we not? So stay tuned for that one coming up in the future and we'll talk about how that hustle and grind gets applied and how you should really do it. So good stuff. I want to look at some um, outside of the actual work ethic and what goes into the the work. I want to talk about the monetary financial costs that go into starting your own brokerage. So um, this is a bit of a revisit. I've talked about this in the past. We both have. So Let's look at an absolute minimum what the costs are and then realistically, what are some additional expenses? So, first of all, you have to have an authority, all right? The DOT, Department of Transportation, you have to file to get your own authority through them. You will get an MC number, a DOT number. The cost just to apply is 300 bucks. So, um, again, not too expensive. We're not talking quarter million to, to yeah. get yourself a Chick-fil-A franchise or whatever, but um, you have to put money up front to show you're serious about it. So, if you have zero dollars in the bank, you're not going to be able to do this. Uh, so, that's just your authority. Once you have that, there's still other stuff you need before you can legally operate. You need a bond, a surety bond. And we've talked about a bond. What's, what is a bond in a nutshell?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean... It's you securing the risk when you're going to go out and do business that if you don't do what you said you're going to do, that this bond comes in and makes that promise good basically.
0: Absolutely. And this, um bonds are used in a lot of different industries. I mean, I think a very common use of a bond you might hear about is like a bail bond.
1: Yeah, bail bonds, Our construction. construction we, yeah. we went two different ways yeah. on that
0: one. <laughs> think about a bail bond, right? Someone yeah. says like, um, I think it's typically 10%, so they're like, "Oh, your bail is $10,000. Pay me a 1,000. I will put Make up sure the 10,000 for you. And if you don't do what you said you were going to do, then what is it? You Well, you I think either way up. you're paying the
1: $1,000, but if you
0: yeah. if you don't uh, what is it? If you don't
1: show up if you don't court, show up for court, then they've got to pay the 10 grand, then, they, and then they've got they to pay the, the 10 grand. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, it's kind of it's almost like a type of insurance. It's a, it's a risk offsetter. So, here's what it is, surety bond and transportation. If you as a broker say you're going to pay a carrier X amount of money and you don't, they can file on your bond and the bond company will pay out the amount that you promised. So, bonds have a very fluctuating and fluid cost and it's all dependent a lot on your credit rating. So, how creditworthy are you as a human, as an individual, that's going to determine how much a bond company will charge you for a bond, so you need to have seventy five thousand dollars for a bond legally right now. It used to be ten k at seventy five k. An interesting discussion, uh, and this is a little bit of a side side discussion. Is um, it's interestingly, it's the same dollar amount requirement, depending or regardless of if you would move one load a month or if you move a thousand loads a month. Yeah. So it's, it's just kind of it's kind of strange, but mind boggling. But yeah, but here, here's the cost. Uh, examples here, Um, figure low end, I had written down here anywhere from $1,800 a year on the low end to $10,000 a year on the high end. Um, I cannot personally speak to how they structure the payment if it's paid monthly, quarterly, or all up front for the year. I don't don't know. I've never had to purchase my own bond, Uh, but it's a fairly significant cost right there. So you got to be serious about this if you're going to do it. Uh, Next, insurance. So, as a broker, you don't ever have possession legally of the freight. So, you don't need cargo insurance. That's the carrier. But you do need to have liability insurance. Okay. So, at a minimum, you're, you're looking at probably getting a million dollar policy. And we're looking at 1500 or $3,000 a year annually. And again, a lot of factors go into that. That's where an actuarial table comes into play and you know, just like any insurance, they're gonna have a lot of screening questions and situations that they, that they look at before they figure out what their cost to you or their price to you is. So uh, other types of insurance that brokers typically have, um, contingent cargo, trailer, right? interchange. trailer interchange. So I think uh, contingent cargo, you, people usually get about a quarter million um, and that's not necessary but again, there's another cost that goes into that. Trailer interchange, like you mentioned, if you're going to be haul, if you're going to have a carrier hauling someone else's trailer, right? That's essentially what- Or anytime you've ever booked
1: a truck and they've broken down and you need to cross dock it and you need yep. to be able to like-
0: And you're going to have probably a smaller amount on that. I think people usually yeah. get like anywhere. It's, it covers the cost of it. It's supposed to cover the trailer. So I think it's like people get anywhere from like 10,000 to like 50,000 in trailer interchange. Um. But again, I mean, you're, you're already talking between authority bond and insurance, which I would say that that is the minimum. That is the absolute bottom minimum that you need: 300 for authority, roughly five grand a year for the bond if you're brand new, and about two grand a year for the insurance. So you're you're up close to ten grand just to get in the door for your first year,
1: and that's annually, right? And these are yep. these are the authority. authority variable the
0: you don't have to reapply for. I right,
1: but so. these aren't variable costs, right? So this is money out the door day one, you still don't have a customer, you still don't have any loads, and now you've got to go co-teach yourself how you're going to get on the phone and how to go get shippers. And that's just step 1, right?
0: Yep. Now now we're going to look at the supplemental costs that are just about essential for you to succeed, all right? Um Software and load boards. Okay. You're not going to be, especially if you're brand new, if you don't have any carrier relationships, you're going to have to start with relying on load boards. So um, like we've talked about it before, DAT is a great example, probably the largest load board out there. Um, truck stop, post everywhere, select this. I mean, the, the list of load boards goes on and on and on. The, the, the marketplace is owned by a small few, um, but you're going to pay monthly on these. And you're looking at, we did an analysis on them earlier this summer. I think you're, you're probably looking at about 300 bucks a month for a good setup of a mix of load boards to get you up and running. And that's monthly. All right. And that's before you turn a single dollar in
1: profit. Because here's the thing, right? That is your access to the market. Your access to the market are these load boards, which means that when you get a load or a handful of loads or whatever that is from your shipper, which you make all of these phone calls to get, now you've got to find the truck to go pick it up. Now, this is just one resource, by the way. Other resources, carrier lists and Quick tip, if you've been in business a year, two years, three years, you should be keeping track of all of the carriers that consistently run your loads so that you can go back and reach out to them. Because when you, everyone that's ever been in this industry realizes that, yeah, you're going to get a load occasionally where there's no trucks posted out of that lane. you at least want to be able to call back the carriers you've run through this with. That's some of the advantages for the, the guys that have been in business, you know, year two, year three.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And the other half to the to the uh, technology piece is the, the software. So, and this is that's a very vague um, pool of money, or I guess a title for this type of expense. But software is going to generally include a TMS, so a transportation management system. So that's going to be what you're using to do anything from uh, booking a load, dispatching a carrier, and all-inclusive TMSs will have invoicing. Capability to invoice your customers to paid carriers, integration with factoring companies with GPS tracking, CRMs to track customer prospecting, uh, fuel advances, lumpers. I mean, employee management, payroll. I mean, the TMS, the TMS is a great, great, great tool regardless. It organizes
1: everything. It I mean, does. it tells you when your load's picked up, when it's gone, you're able to look back through past loads, see the carriers that have been on it, who picked up what, when, what you paid, and what were the details of it. I mean, yep, it's essential in being able to run your business.
0: I, I would consider it a force multiplier, meaning that if you're going to spend, let's say, $200 a month on a TMS, it's probably going to be five to 10x worth its money hand over fist. So Absolutely. once you're up and running, because it's going to save you time overall and give you access to data. So, which is huge. Um, okay. A couple of uh, other ones we want to look at here is cash flow and wages. So this is going to be, again, supplementary, but cash flow. Think about this. Your customer is going to pay you whenever they want to pay you. A carrier. You need to pay them within a reasonable, usually within 30 days. Otherwise, they're never going to haul a load for you again if you don't pay them and they're going to file on your bond. So typically, there is a gap between when the customer on average pays you as a broker and when you have to pay that truck. So to bridge that gap, that's what's called cash flow. So you Working need, in capital. Yep. Working capital, yeah. So the 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 larger your business size, the more cash flow, the more money you need to have access to. To operate that cash flow process, so if you 're brand new and you have you 're not moving a load well you don 't need anything for cash flow, but you 're not going to succeed and you 've got all these other sunk costs and and fixed costs, whereas the you know once you get up to let 's say you 're doing a million bucks a year in top line business, I think the recommendation for any kind of company is to have like a three to six month um, working Reserve capital but you have you have every every situation is different you have to look at what that gap is and how much you need to operate and have a uh, a bit of li- like, I guess a little bit of leeway on it too right
1: so I mean ideally you should you're be the banker with, hear your analysis. yeah I mean well you should be working with a banker you should have a small business banker you should have a working capital line of credit um, we're not going to get too much into factoring but that's really just Well, we can. I mean, that's a a cost too. Yeah, If you don't have cash flow, you need factoring. Right. It's a loan secured by your receivables. But just in its most simplest sense, right? What this means is, hey, I've got a load from my customer. Okay. We'll just call it a, you know, cross-country load. It's $5,000. Well, I've got to pay that truck usually at the end of the week. Let's say he picks up Monday, load gets delivered Friday. He invoices me. I'm going to get That process to pay him. That's five grand out the door, right? My customer, Acme Supply, is typically on 30 day terms. Some are 60, but let's just say 30. That means we're going to invoice, they will pay 30 days after invoice. You're not invoicing your customer every day, by the way. You're usually invoicing them at the end of the month. So, If you ran that load and it's, you know, October 7th, that's 23 days until you invoice it if you're gonna invoice at the end of the month and then they have 30 days to pay you. So, that's almost 60 days before you'll receive that $5,000 back that you fronted to the truck this week, right? Yeah. As you get better at your business and as you're more profitable and do more work, that number doesn't go down, it actually goes up. So, if you run one load a week at five grand, you need five grand for 60 days. If you get a shipper that goes, I need you to pick up 30 of these loads this week at five grand a piece. Now, I've just put out $150,000 this week that I won't get paid for 60 days from now. And next week, if I get 30 more loads, guess what? That's 150 plus the 150,000 this week. That's $300,000. And if you do that all the way for six weeks, that's 150 grand times six weeks, right? What's that number? Roughly probably eight or nine $100,000 $100,000 just on a 30-load cross-country shipper, right? It's a massive amount of need that you're going to need to be able to float this that I think most people just don't think about when they're getting into this.
0: So here's the other side of the equation is that you can invoice daily or weekly or some something more frequent than monthly, but that's going to be administrative time that you're spending doing that task that's not essentially making you money. It's just you doing the work to receive your money that you've already really earned. But you're not spending time prospecting or getting additional business or booking more freight. So I will tell you, um, the company that I work for, we invoice every single day and we invoice the same day that we receive carrier paperwork in. Now, that is a well-oiled machine of a business to do that because that can then turn around and pay commissions faster. That gets receivables there a lot faster. We don't have to factor anything. We keep our cash flow very, very good. That's why we've been a business for almost 40 years. And it's, it's been stable and grown leaps and bounds since day one. But that being said, it doesn't happen overnight. We were saying before, it's not get rich quick. For running a freight brokerage company, a successful one, you could say it's getting rich slow, right? Yeah. But, you
1: know, making a lot of
0: money doing it if you do it the right way.
1: And here's the other thing. And just to kind of add, it's like, I, I know a lot of people come from other jobs, other industries, a lot of blue collar industries that come into the freight, into the trucking world and specifically construction, right? I was in construction. I grew up in it. My dad was in construction, been around it my whole life. Like you wouldn't find anybody that has never been a carpenter that said, you know what? I've never, I've never hung drywall. I've never framed a house. I've never done any trim work, but you know what? I'm going to own my own carpentry company now. Like you would go and work for a carpenter until you understood the job, then you would understand how they invoiced. Then you would understand how they got paid. Then you would learn the job sites. And then eventually, once you had enough relationships, then you would take your relationships and hang your own shingle up and you would own your business, Mm -hmm. right? The apprentice model model. that's been around for, I don't know, probably as long as humans have done business with each other and didn't barter, right? You learn from somebody else until you can do it. But for some reason, I feel like people that have no exposure to trucking, right, just want to jump in this and feel like there's just no need to learn. Lo- I don't know. It just blows my mind. It,
0: hey, Ben, the same thing happens, I feel like, in the real estate market. People are like, oh, oh I, got my, I got my real estate license. I feel like there's even less barrier to entry there because you just got to go take an exam. At least there's a test though, right? Like certification. I, but I, the cost. I, I,
1: I do a lot of work in real estate too, so I definitely see it there. And the caveat is, right, like, look, if you have been driving a truck and you've been owning a trucking company or you've been in the industry, right, obviously, these things are a little bit different. You either know that these things happen, you understand the invoicing, the billing, right? It, it's much different than the person that just learns about the industry and then dives head first in it. And that's kind of the caveat. I want to make sure that everybody kind of takes with a grain of salt here.
0: Yep, agreed. Uh, then wages, if you're going to grow, obviously, you're going to have to pay people. So a um, lot of expenses there. Now, I, before we move on to the next point of discussion, I do want to hit on, you talked about, you know, if you ran a trucking company, et cetera, it's, you have the experience and the knowledge. I would say there are probably three, you know, there's probably three generic situations where somebody would be potentially be a good fit to go get their own authority. One would be the employee that is doing great, has the experience, is not going to have a whole lot of legal issues if they do it and really wants to run a business and deal with all the other tasks that they don't have to currently do. That's one. So the employee. Second one is maybe the agent. The agent that knows how to run everything independently. They want to take on the additional back office work. They want to run the entire company and get a bigger piece of the pie potentially if you know how the cash flow works out and the margins there. And the third one, and you made me think of this is the trucking company that has their own customers, does not have a brokerage authority, but wants to expand into that type of uh, opportunity. So they want to open a brokerage division and get an authority to be able to broker out their customers freight that they cannot put on their own trucks, or they don't, maybe they don't have enough trucks or the right type of truck, or they don't go to that specific uh, location. They don't have the capacity for it. Those are probably the three that would work out. The person that has no experience and has never done it, uh, I'm telling you, don't do it. Don't do it before you learn how to do it some other way.
1: And, and there are less, risk, less risky ways to get involved, right? You can go on and work as an agent. You can go and take none of the risk, but most of it. I mean, most, some of the agencies, 50 to 70% you get to keep of that pie, right? And you know what you give up for that 30%? You give up not having to invoice, not having to bill, not having to develop a carrier base, not having to deal with the insurance. Basically, there's two jobs, right? invoices. Right. You're a freight broker and you're a business owner. Learn how to do each job independent of the other one, Like don't try to jump in and juggle two balls at first when you don't understand either one of them. It's just, it's a lot and that's why these numbers are what they are.
0: Absolutely. So that's startup costs. And now the other discussion, and this is less numbers driven, but more, I guess a mindset and a bigger picture is running a, and you said it earlier, running a business and being a freight broker are two completely separate things but both are required if you're going to open your own brokerage, right? You've got to run the business as a business owner, even though we just said that you just own your job, but you have, you're still running running an organization. You have to file tax returns,
1: keep track of all this stuff. You should have an LLC or whatever you're incorporated as like a lot of that stuff.
0: Yeah. So I've seen uh, like real world examples. I've seen people that are just kick-ass outstanding freight broker representatives but they they don't know the first thing about running a business. Yes, and vice versa. People that yes. are great business owners and they've come to be saying, Pff, "I can do this. I I've ran this company, this company, this company. I want to be. A, I want to run a brokerage now." It's like, well, you, you got you got to have both. You got to have both pieces to the equation before you're just going to go out there and, and make it happen. And right. yes, you can learn. Everyone can learn. Everyone has to start somewhere. But when we talk about retention and turnover. It goes to show the uphill battle that you have in front of you and we're just, it's just, we're giving you a little bit of caution here that it's, there's a lot more that goes into it than you probably think.
1: Well, what you see in in the startup industry too that is very prevalent is founders of companies that are super passionate about what they do, build their companies up to a degree and then usually, hire themselves and hire a CEO because the job of running a company is very different than the job of building a company. And that's across all industries. That's in tech, that's in construction, that's in retail. Like you build it because you're passionate. But once you get there, you're like, hey, I don't want to run this. I don't know anything about HR. I don't want to build out an accounting department. Like that's a different job. And then you'll see the founder take an advisory role and they hire a CEO. Yep. And the
0: same thing goes, like think about a CFO, right? You might get to the point where you want to hire a CFO because they are way better at numbers and that stuff than you are when it comes to the accounting side. You might know the industry and the trucking side of things very well, but you don't, you don't succeed at the numbers side as much as they do. Just like they're really good at numbers, but they don't know the first thing about running a freight brokerage, which is why they're the CFO and not the CEO.
1: Yep. It's like Especially a CIO. Today.
0: Think about the tech guy. Chief yeah. information officer. They're really good at computers and,
1: and programming and networks, but do they have to know about accounting? No. Not necessarily. But as a small no. business owner, you've got to learn every one of these jobs, right? Yep. Day one. Yeah. And you've got to, you have to learn them and you have to be proficient at them
0: to succeed. Yep. So if you didn't, uh, you know, let's say you never went to college and, or didn't have any relevant experience that would have shown you the number side of things, Right. It's going to be an uphill battle when it comes to figuring out invoicing, cash flow, and just payable, payables and credit terms and all that stuff. It's, it is a lot. So, you got to learn thing. it somewhere.
1: And, and I mean, before we kind of move into, you know, some of the questions that I'm, I'm anxious to dig into is think about it like this, right? The, the numbers that we were talking about, like W-2, single digits, right? So, for 100 people that go and start this, right? Like 90 some of those 100 don't make it. And they aren't doing any of the jobs we talked about. They're not invoicing, they're not billing, they're not doing the insurance, they're not dealing with the carrier base. They are just making, and their only job is to make 80 to 100 calls a day and bring on more business. And then there's an ops team and everybody else to handle that, right? Yep. And even when they only have that one job, you still see single digits of those people succeed. Now, imagine if that same person now also needs to learn every person's job around them at the exact same time they are learning how to just deal with rejection and bringing on shippers, right?
0: Yeah. And let, let's, let's look at a couple of the key back office tasks that you're going to be spending time having to become proficient in. So you already mentioned, we, we, we beat the dead horse on the accounting side, yep. <laughs> the numbers, right? But think about, so that's billing. Think about claims. Like if a freight claim comes up, do you know the first thing to do and how to deal with an insurance company? I mean, that that alone, because a claim, they may only happen, you know, once a year, twice a year, depending on your customers and the kind of freight you move. But hey, if you're moving produce, which a lot of people enter the industry by going the produce route, because you can get your hands on stuff a lot easier than other stuff. Claims are a lot higher in produce than they are with non-perishable items. Another one too is, you know, look at carriers and vetting out carriers. How do you know if you should set this one up and if you should hire them and how, how do you price it out? You know, stuff like
1: that. And and I think, I mean, I don't want us to be the, you know, naysayers or the, the two guys that have a problem for every solution or taking the wind out of everybody's sails. <laughs> obviously. I mean, you know, I work with a lot of independent brokers. Um, I know Nate does as well. And this isn't to say that like you can't succeed. This isn't to say that people aren't succeeding. It's to say that honestly, the people that are working with the organization I work with, that's what we provide. We are the mentors. People are paying us because we have learned these things, we've gone through it, and they have an open line. So when they have that issue comes up, like I had somebody reach out to me yesterday, they had a new load in a different mode type, and they needed somebody to help walk them through it. So I jump on the call to help them. The same way you help your brokers and the guys that work underneath you, you jump on the phone to be that resource for them. What we're basically, I don't want to say basically, what we are saying is that before you jump into this, make sure you have these resources and if you don't reach out, we'll try to help connect you. Nate and I don't do this just so that we can get clients. We do this so that we can help you out and connect you with other people. We're going to be working to put some more free resources out there to try to help some of the people that maybe have jumped head first and maybe did it without realizing all the things around them. Absolutely. And so, yes, We'll, we'll, we'll end this
0: on a positive note before we do the Q& A, So like I'm, I'm going I'm to pick you back off what you said. Here's the positive. If you've listened to this entire episode so far and you understand what you're going up against and you are confident that you are up for it and you're, you understand that there's a learning curve and that you want to do those things, then absolutely this is something that is for you. if you If you meet the criteria with, with the experience and you're good with numbers you understand that it takes running a business in addition to being good at brokering freight. Like we've talked, I know there's people listening to this show that we have talked with that kind of hopped into it and got a little bit frustrated, but we, I know that they can do it and they will succeed, but they understand the struggle and the uphill battle that goes into it and they will fight tooth and nail to be able to succeed before they decide, I just want to be a broker for a company or an agent for a company they want they truly want to run their own business and they They will succeed because they understand all of that so these are just cautionary we're just having a conversation about the world of freight here we're just giving you some uh, some uh, free advice which is worth about
1: as much as you pay for it and uh, take it for what it's worth so my favorite to kind of end that was you always love those quotes right is a quote by Nietzsche is he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how If your why is big enough, you'll push through whatever's necessary. I like that. So you got
0: to know what, what your why is. Yep. Who is that? Nietzsche. Yeah. Frederick
1: Nietzsche. Who's Frederick Nietzsche? Famous. Famous quoter. You know, famous author in Germany, I think back in the early 20th century.
0: All right. Fair enough. So there you go. We ended it on a positive. Now let's go to some Q and A. Um, So these questions, we added in a new source and this is Trucker's Report. So I've got Trucker's Report and I've got uh, Reddit. So thanks thanks to Eric for reaching out on LinkedIn and sharing Trucker's Report with me this week. So first question comes from Trucker's Report. Says, I was offered a load by a broker whose authority is showing as inactive. Is this fraud? So this is a carrier that is offered a load looks up their MC number, sees an inactive authority. This is, we can answer this uh, looking through two lenses. If you're a carrier and the uh, broker's authority shows inactive or vice versa, if your broker and a carrier gives you an MC and it shows inactive. If you see a red flag, whether it's authority or insurance or a bad review, I say rule of thumb is you need to address it. You need to do your research and you need to make sure that everything is lined up in a-okay before you go ahead and, do that transaction. Ben, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be for a number of reasons. I think the important takeaway is that you've got a system in place that you use to evaluate your carriers before you're booking them on the loads. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Earlier this week, doing a carrier setup and for some reason they came back as unapproved and could not figure out why it was a tech glitch. Had something to do with just the integration between FMCSA and what the TMS was saying so um, that I mean that'll happen sometimes you get load boards that they have a glitch on their end and if you're using a a load board or any kind of online resource that is pulling insurance data or a rate you might it's technology it's never perfect it can happen just dig into it and figure out what the actual situation is all right next question also from truckers report in this, I kind of paraphrase the question, but it was: uh, as an agent, should I be branding myself under my brokerage or as my own company? So, by this, let's say you work for, um, let's say you work for ABC Logistics. I don't even know if that's a real company, but we'll just say that they're a large agent-based brokerage. And as an agent, should you be branding yourself as an agent of ABC Logistics, or should you be, you know, hey, I'm Nate Cross? Yep, And I think there's, it depends. It really depends. If, if the,
1: and I'll give the first you question, thing. what's the first question you asked to evaluate this? What, does what your company's image look like? I think it's probably exactly. What yeah. is the value? Is there any inherent value in you aligning yourself with the existing company? Does anybody know who you are? Does yeah. the shipper, does the shipper care when you lead with that? Right?
0: Yeah. Like if, if you're a Landstar agent, Give me a call and I'll give you a better company with a better reputation (laughs) to brand yourself as. Um, So, but in all reality, that's a good thing is what does the company's image look like? Because I've had a lot of folks that would say, I'm Joe Schmo, uh, authorized agent of ABC Logistics or powered by ABC Logistics. And then I've had other people that even though the company that they were an agent for was very good and reputable, they wanted to truly grow their own brand. They've got their own website. They've got their own email domain. And they're like, yeah, I'm an agent for ABC logistics, but I'm going to represent myself as Joe Schmo with Schmo Bros Transportation, which is the company name or whatever. Yeah. And that is totally fine. Um, there is positive and negative, bene- positive and negatives to either way you look at it, you got to weigh the pros and cons and figure out which you prefer and which works best. But um, branding and image all can work in your favor if the company that you're an agent for is strong and has a great reputation. Um, if you brand yourself, you run the risk of who are you and what and why am I getting invoiced by a different company than you're representing yourself as? So yeah. It's a good discussion, though. Good good question. Yep. Last one. This comes from Reddit. So I'm such a Reddit guy now. I <laughs> love it. Uh, how, how do you incentivize a driver if you're a new broker? So I'm let you answer this one, Ben, but here's the situation: new broker just like we just talked about, just got their authority, right? Has no reputation, has been in business for 10 days. You got a driver that is a little weary about taking a load from you because you're so new. What can they do to incentivize a driver to work with them?
1: Cash is king. Cash is king. Pay them. (laughs) Cash is king. Pay, pay them more, pay them faster, pay them quicker, give them better service.
0: I agree. I think that's a big part of it. So, um, I agree. You could do the-
1: Because the risk went up, right? I mean, that's what yeah. they're evaluating. The carriers going, hey, I don't know you. I don't necessarily know if you're going to pay me or you're going to invoice me or I'm going to get paid for 30, 45, seven, two days, not at yep. all. I mean, that's the risk.
0: Yeah, you can offer the quick pay. You can pay them. You can prepay them. You can offer the quick pay. You can offer them more money and pay them faster. Um, So that's the monetary side. I think the other side too is if you have a background and experience and you have brokered before just under a different company, you can look at referrals, references, and that could be from other carriers that they may know, um, you know, a a whole variety of things. You want to make sure that you're painting a picture overall that you have value to offer them, whether it's monetary or service related, a reputation, reliability, you name it.
1: But this speaks
0: to the uphill battle that you deal with when you start your own brokerage.
1: But the other side is lead with that. Lead with why you're in business. At the end of the day, it's a human being talking to another human being. Connect with them. Tell them why you're in this seat, why you're doing it, why it's important to you. Maybe your why is your family. Maybe it's that you lost your job. Maybe it's that you have huge ambitions. Whatever that is share that with, that with that driver, right? Talk to them, connect with them. Say, hey, are you in this area often? You know, I'll definitely work with you. I'll try to find more loads. Hey, maybe I'll try to find you a back call once you deliver this load. Why don't you give me a call when you're getting close as we're check calling, right? There's a lot of different ways you can add value to the carriers. A lot of them don't cost money. It's, it's about leading with these things, talking to them, finding out what's important to that driver. Hey, other than important, what else can I do to help you out?
0: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. So great question. Again, just another example of the, uh, the challenges that you will face when you start your own brokerage. So, um, but I like that you, you give the, the subjective side to things of what's your why. Why are you in business? So
1: yeah.
0: at the end of the day, you know, being a freight broker is a, it's a people person's type of business where you got to be great at building relationships, great at communicating, great at handling all kinds of issues that'll pop up, so if you're, uh, you know, if you 're easy going, usually those are the ones that succeed if you 're kind of hot headed or uh, a hard ass or you get frustrated easily,
1: whew, good luck it 's going to be a rough road for you because if the yeah. one thing that 's certain in trucking is things will go wrong they 're going to go wrong at the worst time you 're not going to expect it. And what I found is probably the most valuable skill that I learned from my manager when I got into this business was you're never gonna be able to plan for what's gonna go wrong because it's inherently gonna come up unexpectedly. What you've gotta be able to do is to develop your own trust and your own ability to solve any problem once it occurs and to have some resources to reach out to you just like a mentor, a coach, somebody else that can help walk you through it until you've got that ability and that confidence.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. I love it. Final Ooh, thoughts. I'm going to give you my final thoughts on the Buffalo Bills, but what do you got for final thoughts?
1: I don't know. Honestly, it's kind of bounced back and forth. I don't know that I necessarily have a final closing thought. <laughs> I feel like I should have prepared for that. There you um, go. The lack of preparation, right? <laughs> I say final thoughts every week.
0: All right. So here's my final thoughts. Buffalo Bills, 1 p.m. Sunday, in Tennessee, what is that? Nissan Stadium? Yep, Nissan Stadium. By the way, dry, it, I think it's so cool. The first time I went to Tennessee was 2015. I went to the NASDAQ conference. It's the mm-hmm. National Association of Small Trucking Companies. And it was my first time there. Left there with a cowboy hat and, you know, a great night riding. I rode a mechanical bull, I think, after the conference that, that one night. But Driving down the highway from the airport and seeing Nissan Stadium right there downtown was so cool because I'm from, from Orchard Park, New York, where I'm 20 minutes outside of downtown Buffalo and the stadium's in the suburbs down the street from me. So seeing it right downtown, I thought was really cool. Um, but here, here's, the, here's the matchup. This is from ESPN. Bills are predicted to win 52.4% chance. There is no spread listed for this game and they refuse to release it because they don 't know what 's going to happen yet. and i don 't think Vegas wants to put any kind of odds out there and yeah. any kind of risk in case a bunch of players pop hot and I, I say pop hot like it 's a drug test they, <laughs> they pop hot for covid yeah. and can 't play so they 're like ah we don 't really want to put a spread out there or a money line yet but i 'm saying the bills are going to win um, superior offense superior defense bills are actually three three and one against the spread right now, which means they 're covering three times. Uh, out of four and Tennessee has never covered the spread. So interesting uh, for Vegas as well, but I'm going to say Buffalo is going to put up in the thirties and Tennessee is going to pop in the twenties. So I'm going to go with a, hmm, let's say 31, 27 Buffalo bills. Four That's
1: point game. game. Four point game.
0: Yeah. Who's the Steelers playing this weekend? Honestly, I didn't even check. I thought they were going to push the Tennessee game. Philadelphia, that's a, that's a win. Yeah. Phil. Yeah, Pittsburgh has projected 67.9% chance to win with a negative 7-point spread there. Bread. So they're favored by a touchdown. And where are they playing? They are playing – where does it say it? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, in Pittsburgh, so they're home. Usually the home team gets three points just for being home, plus another four because Pittsburgh is a superior team. So, yeah, I'm going to say that's a win. Nice, man. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Until next time,
1: go Bills. And whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. There he is. That
0: wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net.
1: And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.